Let's go to the book of Daniel this morning, and we'll start with a verse in chapter 1 that will pretty much express the mood of this message, tone of this message. It's found in verse 8. The book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now we'll just stop at that verse there for now. We'll look at a few others as we go along. The title that I gave to this message certainly expresses the life of Daniel and of his friends. All of the characters really of the Bible. No compromise. To compromise means to accept a standard that is lower. And there are obviously situations and sometimes circumstances where we just need and should compromise. Marriage would be one example. Some groups that we're in, they need a compromise between conflicting opinions. But I will submit to you that when it comes to this book and the song that we just sang, for those of you who actually take that to heart, there can be no compromise. There can be no compromise with anyone, no matter who they are. There can be no compromise with anything, no matter what it is. There simply can be no accepting a standard lower than that which is presented to us here in God's Word, in the Bible. We cannot accept a standard of faith, doctrine, other things that's less than what God has put forth. I had a friend of mine, I just spoke to him last week, and he was sharing with me about he had a Bible at his bedside, and he'd been reading it and praying, and he spoke to me honestly. He said, you know, some of those things that you post on Facebook, he said, I don't understand them. I said, well, that's fine. I mean, you know, when you're starting out, and he's a year older than me. When you're starting out, you know, you don't understand much, and so you just keep working at it. But he was quick to tell me, he says, well, I don't believe everything in the Bible. Now, remember, this is a man who's just making an attempt to read it, which is good. And his answer was honest. But I said to him, the problem there is this. Throughout the Bible, from the very beginning, right to the very end of it, hundreds upon hundreds of times, we find these phrases. And God said, and the Lord spake unto Moses. In Jeremiah alone, we find the majority of this verse, thus saith the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, in Ezekiel and so on. So I said to him, I said, hundreds and hundreds, which adds up to thousands of times in the Bible, it never claims that it's a man speaking. So I said, we have two choices. We either believe it and receive it as the word of God, that we don't understand everything that we've read, or we reject it. That's the only option God, this book leaves us with. It doesn't leave us with anything in the middle. God said, God spoke, the Lord said, it claims to have been written by God. 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is given by the breath of God. All scripture is given by the breath of God. And he actually said to me, he says, well, I like that, he said. I said, you don't have an option to say, well, I sort of, it's either you reject the book or you accept it, even though you don't understand everything. Jesus, of course, is the exact same way. He never left anyone, and he doesn't leave you, and he doesn't leave me with an option. Well, some of what Jesus said, I believe, but he doesn't leave us with that option. He who is not with me is against me. And we have to make a decision whether we're with him or not. We could say, well, yeah, I'm kind of with Jesus. But Jesus would say, no, you're not. Remember Matthew 24, 5, 6, and 7. He who hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon the rock. 
and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the house stood because it was founded upon a rock. Then the one who hears my words and doesn't do them, I will liken him unto a foolish man that built his house upon the sand. And then, of course, same thing happens. The rains descend, the floods came, the winds blow, and great, he says, Jesus, great was the fall of that house. Jesus never left us. Anyone that he spoke to never left them with a if. In Matthew chapter 8, the scribe comes to him and says to him, I could be one of your followers. Jesus' response was, well, the foxes have dens and the birds have nests. I don't have anywhere to live. You still want to follow me? He was a scribe. One of his disciples comes to him in Matthew also chapter 8 and says to Jesus, I want to follow you. My father just passed away. I want you to listen very carefully to this. This is the Bible, the way it's actually written. I have father just passed away. I just want to go bury him first, do the funeral and whatever family business, and then I'm going to come. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8. Two words, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Now, you would not write it that way, and I certainly would not write it that way. I would say, okay, we understand. Everybody has these matters they got to attend to. Yeah, okay, fine. But it's not with Jesus. He leaves us with no option but to follow him or not follow him. To be with him or to be against him, that's the only option from his point of view. Well, it's not a point of view. That's all that we have. And so, when it comes to God, there is no compromise. And once again, that doesn't mean that you or I understand everything. I know that I don't. The book is massive, this Bible. However, I do know that there is no compromise. And I think if we look at Daniel, which we will today, he stands as a great example of someone who puts forth this phrase, mori quam fodore, death before dishonors. It's interesting that phrase in Latin is attributed to the samurais. It's the unofficial motto of the United States Marine Corps. It's attributed to somebody else. Seems like a lot of people, including the Irish, it seems like a lot of people want to claim that. I don't know who was really the first to say it. I don't know. But I do know there are a lot of people who do believe it. Samurai certainly were one. Even seppuku was better than dishonor. I can't speak for all the people who've been in the Marine Corps. But I can speak for the character of Daniel. You see, this was his position, that he would rather die than dishonor himself before God. And not just today, but throughout history, how many people have really had that as their credo, their personal credo? I would rather die than dishonor myself in my relationship with God. And so we have so much compromise. Keep this in mind. Compromise is never good, ever, for the church. Never. It's never good for the church. So I won't be talking about places where the church has compromised over 2,000 years and is becoming more in the times in which we live, I'm just going to simply say that in compromise, the church always loses, in a manner of speaking. We are left with no choice, but that God wrote this book or he didn't. As for me, I know that God wrote this book. That's for me. And Daniel certainly, once again, exemplifies that Latin expression, mori quam fedore, death before dishonor. We see him here in the very first chapter. Now, when you read the Bible, you have to put yourself into the text and context. We know we're living in stressful times, no doubt. We know we're living in difficult times, no doubt. But it is a grievous mistake, or egregious mistake, I should have said, to think that the people in the Bible weren't living in stressful, dangerous times. 
They were, they all were. And comparably, in many ways, perhaps we can say this is uh, getting a bit bad, but there was Sodom, there was Gomorrah, and there was the days of Noah, and on and on. Dangerous, dangerous days. And what I'm saying is that when you read the Bible, because, you know, most everybody here is biblically literate, and we know how this is going to turn out. We don't even have to read the book of Daniel. We already know how it's going to turn out because we've read it. When you put yourself into the text, into the context of the characters of the Bible, you keep in mind that they don't know how this is going to turn out. And that makes all the difference in how you view the characters of the Bible. When Daniel purposes in his heart with his friends that he's not going to eat what the Babylonians eat, what the king himself eats or his people, he was saying, I prefer death before dishonor. He was under the Jewish law, dietary laws. And it seems to me that if you're going to compromise, that would be a kind of an easy place. I mean, yes, sure, God told us, uh, the Jews I'm speaking of now, Israel, uh, yes, sure, God told us what we shouldn't eat or cannot eat. We're commanded not to eat. We cannot eat and will not eat and whatever. It's easy when we're all together. But now, well, Lord, you know my heart. And we've been conquered by a nation. We're taken captive. And the human mind, I want you to know, can rationalize anything. Anything. What I mean is that we can rationalize any sin. When God says don't do it, or God says to do it, which I think is more of a problem we have in Christianity now than the other. God says to do it, and we rationalize why we can't do it. I don't have opportunity to witness. I don't have the courage, and there we go, and we go down this whole thing. And what it is, is accepting a standard that's lower than what is in the Bible. And we compromise. Daniel, once again, stands out as an example of that expression, moriquam fudori. I choose death before I dishonor myself before my God. You see, that's exactly what was the possibility in his mind. Because we know a few chapters later, when there was no compromise in the worship of what God they would worship. And there's only one God, but... Three boys went into a furnace that was so hot that even the guards burnt up just throwing them in there. Death before dishonor. I would submit to you that that phrase has lots of application for all people everywhere. That if you have a principle or principles that you live by, it's better to pay, uh, pay rather any price in the world than to dishonor yourself with men. He purposed in his heart, that's the text, he was purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And we're just talking about food. Really, what's the big deal? I'm looking at Daniel from an American point of view in the 21st century. Hey, God knows my heart. And he knows we've been taken captive. And plus he said to submit to authority. But one thing that I need to tell you there, we are supposed to submit to authority. And the only time that we're not supposed to submit to authority is when that authority tells us to disobey God. Amen. And that's it, my friends, my American friends. You don't like your president. I'm not crazy about him. I don't trust men. I don't trust 45, 44, 43, 42, 41, all the way back to number one. They may have been good. They may have been bad. There's a difference of opinion. Who was the greatest? Who was the lowest? I don't really much care. Because I learned a long, long time ago not to trust in horses and chariots, but to trust in the name of the Lord my God. No compromise. Daniel was purposed not to compromise, and he could well have been killed. And not only him, but the eunuch as well. That's what the eunuch is going to tell him. You're going to put my head in jeopardy if I change your diet. Now let me go back to this one more time. It's just a diet. But to a Jew, it was not just, in this period of time, it was not just a diet. 
They can't eat pig. They can't eat shellfish. They have to discriminate between certain types of food. Otherwise, they defile themselves before God. And Daniel said, I'm not doing it. And I want you, when you read your Bible, I want you to put yourself into the text and context. Again, you already know the outcome. So it's easy just to read real quick and not pay any attention to what is really going on in this young man's life. He's probably about 15 years old. Which, by the way, just as an aside, I will say this to you. Typically, great revivals have always begun with young people. Old people get stuck in their ruts. They're justifying their ways. They forget to love one another. They forget a lot of things. They break commandments, and they become so habituated to defiling themselves before God. The young people come in, and they reject it. And I see a measure of that, which is a good sign, by the way. I see a measure of that happening now. It's the young people coming along, so we don't want the fun and games. Give us the real deal. We want the real deal. We don't want to be talked to like we're little children. It's different when you're talking and teaching children than you have to talk to adults like children so that they'll come back. There is no compromise with the Bible. It's God's word. We can't so to speak dumb it down. It's God's word. It's God's book. So Daniel purposes in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Now look at verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. So he's the head of the jail. He's the head of the captives. And these four young men have favor. And so verse 10, the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse, liking then the children which are of your sort? Then ye shall make me endanger my head to the king. If I change your diet, you're not going to fare as well as the others who are on this protein-rich diet. Then said Daniel, in Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants. Prove. <laughs> That's what we were singing just a couple minutes ago. Refiner's fire. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, for ten days, and give us pulse to eat and water to drink. You know what they were eating? Vegetables. So without reading the rest, and it's only ten days, on a diet of vegetables and water, after ten days, they looked fatter, healthier, than the other young people who were eating the diet of the king. Now, the question is, was it the diet or was it their faith? I'm not here to do the exact opposite of what i just been telling you lately irks me when preachers get up and talk to their congregation about how they should eat. That's not my place. Preaching the Bible is my business. And I'm going to offer you my understanding of what I think it was. I don't think it was the diet solely or just let's have faith in God solely. I think it was both. They knew not to eat the meat, so that was faith. We know when we look in the book of Genesis, and again, I'm not here to give you advice on nutrition. We look in the book of Genesis, we know that man's original diet was herbivorous. There's no question about that. Fruit and vegetables and water. And I think it was a bit of both, but mostly their faith in God. Mostly their faith in God. That Daniel and his friends had purposed in their hearts they're not going to defile themselves with what we would call now the world. What we would call the world. And so... It ended well in that regard. And if we were to write the Bible, we would say, well, that was the only test they had. It was a close call, deciding on something as minor. Now, remember, that's minor to us. It wasn't minor to them. The Torah had dietary laws. Still, well, it still does for many Jews around the world, Orthodox particularly. They won't eat it. God said don't eat it. For us as Gentiles, we don't have that issue. 
But I want you to see that they've just been taken captive. They've lost family members in the destruction of Jerusalem and other cities by Nebuchadnezzar. And so that's fresh in their minds. They are now slaves in a foreign nation where they speak Chaldean. They speak a foreign language. So I want you to picture this. I want you to picture yourself in that scenario. And the king wants to use you because he realizes that you are very sharp, very wise, and your three friends the same. And all you got to do is just eat a little bit of that meat. And Daniel said, I won't do it. I won't do it. Moriquam fidore. Death before dishonor. For me, there's something about people who live like that. And people are always looking for some reason that they can't do this and they can't do that. Someone says to me, I wish I could play the guitar. I said, you could. Start practicing. Oh, I wish I had the time. You have the time. Or whatever else they want to do. I wish I could do that. Not really. You don't really wish you could do that because you're not invested in it. If you're in, you're not all in. I was telling my nephew yesterday about the guitar. I've always had this ability to focus on one thing once I'm all into it. And when I was younger, I taught myself the guitar. We didn't have YouTube and all these things then. I just had a chord book. I would sit on the edge of my bed on a summer afternoon while everybody else was out playing basketball and whatever else they were doing. It was six, seven, sometimes as much as eight hours a day just going over chords. Because I was interested in learning. I was all in. I've done that with other things too. But my purpose today is to hold up to you one example, other examples of the Bible in which there was no compromise, which they had not only a lot to lose, they had their lives to lose, but they had that in their heart, death before dishonor. They knew, and you should know, that no matter what we say to other people, God still knows our heart. Now you could say to me this and that and the other thing, and I may say, yeah, okay, you go bury your father. Sure, I mean, I probably would say that, but Jesus didn't. Frankly, I wish that God had written his Bible otherwise. It tone it down. We're not here to promote fanaticism. People are not going to come out, Lord. They're not going to attend church. But if I may say it this way, and it may not be the best way to say this, but God seems to be indifferent. I know he's not indifferent, but God seems to be indifferent to how we think he should have wrote the Bible. I mean, that's the best way I could phrase it without thinking about it further. We know that God's not indifferent. He so loved the world, but... God never negotiates when it comes to his nature, his character, and his word. He doesn't negotiate. Now, you could take your pen today if you want, or your marker, and you could start scratching verses out if that's what you want to do. But God doesn't negotiate. God doesn't give people the, uh, which happens, as I mentioned to you frequently, happens a lot in the pulpit. They don't actually pull the, verse, the page of the Bible out here and just, you know, throw it away. They just bypass it. Men don't have the courage not to defile themselves before God because people are watching them. And they want to be loved by the congregation. And they want the givers to keep on giving. For me, I say to myself, who is it that gives? It's God that gives. If he could sustain the universe and he could sustain the trees and the forest and the birds and all of that, he could sustain me without the aid of men. And so we preach knowing who God is. And hopefully that you will adapt or rather adopt this personal principle. I'd prefer death before dishonor. So that when you walk, you can walk tall. When you walk, you can walk with your head held high. And you're going to pay a price. Now, I mentioned that, but let me just say it again. You're going to pay a price. This almost was an easy pass. But it wouldn't be always that way. Not for Daniel, not for his friends. Put yourself into that 
position without knowing what you already know is going to happen. You're reading a book, you already know the outcome. But they did not, and you still don't know the outcome of your life. I've shared this with you. I certainly have shared it with people privately. My life has not turned out even remotely how I thought it would. But when I look back, I see how God just kept steering me and steering me into that, away from this, without my recognizing it at first. But he has always had my permission. God, lead me. Lead me in the way eternal. Lead me. And he has. Certain friendships that I have had that I no longer have, I would have preferred to keep them. But God knew what harm it could do to me, maybe as, just as a preacher, maybe not for you, same person, not for you. It wouldn't do much damage to you. It would have took me right off the page, distracted me, kept me busy with things that don't matter. No compromise. I do not believe this is something a preacher can give to you. I truly don't. I believe it is something that you have got to make up your mind to say, there will be no compromise in my life. I don't care what the cost is. And you will pay a cost. You may not pay the ultimate cost, losing your life. But you know what? I think that even that is better than skulking around town like a scolded cat. Because you really don't have much of a principle in your life to live by. Love God with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. And you don't give a hang who likes it and who doesn't like it. I told you one of my friends, he's still a friend, good friend. Sat me down when I received Christ. They said, you know, everybody's talking about you. They said, you've gone off the deep end. Which I still find fascinating. And he meant well by it. He's a close friend. He's a good friend. I said, off the deep end? After everything you guys know that I did? And things that they don't know, I did. Now I'm off the deep end? Well, if that's the case, I went off the deep end a long time ago. And I ain't coming back. I don't give a hang what anyone thinks. That's the truth. I didn't then, and I don't now. I stand for Jesus Christ. Am I perfect? Of course not, no. I told you I don't understand everything, and no one does, so don't let them fool you. But I understand this one thing. It's better to have death before dishonor, and most of you are not going to die for your position in Christ, so you can take a deep breath about that. But there'll always be some obstacle. There'll always be someone whispering in your ear, and so on. And there'll be devils. But when you know the Lord, as Daniel certainly did, let me just jump over to Esther. She goes before the king under the instruction and exhortation of her uncle Mordecai. He says, you're a Jew. Now there's an edict put out to kill all the Jews, and you're the one that can stop it. I mean, who knows if you came into the kingdom for a time such as this? Because she already said that. I can't go in there, though I'm Ahasuerus' wife. I can't go in there. If he doesn't raise the golden scepter, I'm dead. And Mordecai says, you think that when he finds out, anybody finds out you're a Jew, you're going to live anyway? Besides, if you don't go in, then God will, this is Mordecai's faith, then God will raise up deliverance somewhere else. Then Esther said, fine, you fast and pray for me and I'll go in. And if I perish, I perish. Today, we don't even want to upset our boss. After all, he holds your job. I got some bad news for that. If your boss holds your job, you're leaning on a very slender reed. If you think all the people on Wall Street are controlling your money, or if they are controlling your money, you are a perfect candidate for anxiety and depression. If you look up to God, who in this book here, in Daniel, he would say, I set one up and I put down another. Kings and people and countries and nations, of which Jesus will judge, not just individuals, but Jesus tells us he's going to judge nations. Then you'll be stable and you'll be wise. 
The first thing we see about Daniel is that he was not going to compromise in his diet. When we go over to chapter 2, we see, again, the obvious, there's no compromise in his faith. Chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Then he forgets what the dream is. He just know it really disturbed him. He goes to the magicians and to the sorcerers, and they don't have a clue. How can we interpret your dream if we don't even know what it is? So Nebuchadnezzar just simply says, find out what I dreamt, tell me what it means, or I'll kill you. I'm going to kill all the wise men. That included Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, Hananiah. So Daniel says to the king, he says, well, don't be so hasty. There's a God who interprets dreams. Meantime, he tells his friends, let's pray. We're all dead. If you were actually in that position, and again, you know the outcome of the story. Oh, it all works out well. Well, let's close the, no, don't close the Bible, but let me close mine for a minute and say, okay, we know what that says, but you don't know how your life's going to end. And that's where we have problems, applying ourselves, or I should say, applying the scriptures to ourselves. Because we know how it went with them, but we don't know how it's going to go with us. And there may be a subliminal idea that somehow it was just easy for them to say, we're trusting in God. We're going to pray that God reveals the content of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, exactly what the dream was. Well, you know the end of that story. God reveals to Daniel precisely what the dream was, then explains to him the outcome. And I must mention to you at this point that the book of Daniel is so accurate when it comes to prophetic matters. Many, many scholars, mostly liberal or what we call liberal scholars, say this book was written in the second century. Daniel lived in the sixth century BC. It's so accurate that they discard it as a prophetic book. And that's problematic if you go to Bible school, where you have liberal professors, and there are plenty, plenty of them in some of the best schools. Because now you have a book that's lying, saying this is going to happen in the future, when actually it's somebody writing it, author, not only an author, authors, plural, that are looking back of history that has already come to pass. But... I just threw that in. Daniel would not compromise in his faith. And think about it once again. A king is giving an order to kill every one of these wise men, including Daniel and his friends. If they can't tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was and the interpretation, and Daniel's statement was this. Is there not a God in heaven that interprets dreams? Which is exactly what Joseph said too. God interprets dreams. He would not compromise in his faith. And his life, once again, was on the line. Not his job. I'm not trying to discourage you. Actually, I'm trying to encourage you today, as I always do. But my friends, you that are still working, or you to get that Social Security check in the mail, and you're looking at the government, or whoever, I don't want anyone to name their names. And your boss, you say, is this, he's that. You're walking on balsa wood. Look at how many people literally jumped off buildings in places like New York City when the stock market crashed in 1929. And of course, there was real danger. Don't get me wrong. Farmers lost their farms and everything else. But God, who is ruling history, always honors faith. As the statement goes, or the saying goes, faith honors God, and God honors faith. And that is not easy. Don't let any of these people who write these booklets and books and essays and come out dressed in all this great 
clothing and the cameras and everything is just right. The makeup is just right, everything. They make it sound like faith is so easy. Like, look at me. Did you see the car I drive? They don't even drive it themselves. They got a chauffeur. And you sit there saying, what's wrong with my faith? Well, read the book. Because none of these people here had it easy. Not a one. And when you pass through Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, you see that not all these kings served God. And it did not end well for them that didn't serve God. And it always ends well. I mean, God's definition of well. Daniel wouldn't compromise in his diet. Daniel wouldn't compromise in his faith. Come with me over here to Daniel chapter 3. Another law of Nebuchadnezzar. He is now getting more and more proud of who he is, or thinks he is. And all that he does, we would call him, in his day, the leader of the free world. Or at least the leader of the world. The Babylonian kingdom was extensive. The dream that happened here in chapter 2 is long forgotten. You are the head, O king, head of gold. And so, here's a statue. And this has significance for us, because this is going to happen in the future. How much near or far, I don't know, but it's going to happen in the future. When the Antichrist puts up a statue of himself... And everybody is going to have to bow down to it or you don't eat. Or you don't buy and you don't sell in Revelation 13. However, two words I told you that I like, but and God. But God. So yeah, I read some of these experts. I read some of these people who are writing about the economics of the world and what's going to happen with the World Bank and on and on and on. And not one of them, I'm talking about secular writers, not one of them ever said, except if God steps in. And yet this book is almost exclusively talking about God's going to step in. God is going to help his people. God will not abandon his people. God will not abandon his own. That's what it says. But it takes faith because you don't know what's going to happen yet. Only what they tell you on the television set or in your newspaper or on the internet, you don't know. That's why we have to remember, well, Romans 10, 17, for example, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what is the Word of God? It's this book here that claims to be the Word of God. Where some say, well, I don't know if I believe it all. I said, you don't have that option. That option is not yours. You either accept it, saying, I don't understand everything, or you reject it. And it's the same with Jesus. And so we find ourselves here in Daniel chapter 3. If you look at verse 12, it says, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, thus their Babylonian names, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They served not thy gods, nor worshipped the golden image which thou hast set up. And they didn't. So without going through all the verses, we talk about these three young men who refused to bow down to a statue. Let's face it. Come on. It's just a little statue. What was it? A little, it was a big statue. You bow down. God knows my heart. We're all good. And if I do this, this little compromise, see, then God can really use me in the kingdom, you see. I'll just give this is my personal opinion. I'm not against meeting the mayor of this city, though I haven't met him. Well, I have years ago. But we have teachings in seminars, pastors do, how to build your church. You got to shake hands with the right people. And you got to make sure that you're connected to this and to that and all this type. A lot of which, not all of which, amounts to a compromise. When we go to the book of Acts, they had nothing. They were not in favor with the king. They were not in favor with the scribes and Pharisees and so on. And many times not even in favor with the people. But what they did have is the Holy Spirit. They didn't even need a sign that says the church is this way. People were asking, where's these men that pray? And women uh, pray and lay hands on the sick and all of that. And my belief is that that is still not only God's way, 
But it's what we need today. Praying men, praying women that won't compromise. Because if we compromise and we're praying, we go to the scripture that says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We will not waver. Because if that's the case, we go to James chapter 1 that says that a man that wavers is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man or woman think that they will receive anything from the Lord. But if we have people who are living before the Lord in pure heart and pure conscience and are praying, then God appears. And people start asking, I said, the mayor, this is a small city. Then the politicians start calling you up. Can you come to the office? They'll think of Billy Graham. Think of some of the other great, well, I'm thinking of Billy Graham in particular. Calling him up. Can you come over? Can you pray? The furnace is heated seven times more than it's ever been before. In Daniel chapter 3. No compromise in their faith. Now we're off Daniel, we're on to their friends. They're all about the same age. And the guards, as I mentioned earlier, they're burnt up just trying to throw them in the fire. But they throw them in the fire. And the fire is a real fire. It's not a metaphorical fire. It's not a, gee, I feel like I'm on fire. I'm just so much stress. They're in a real fire. And they have clothes on. And the men that could view it are wondering why they're not being burned. They're not burnt up. You call the king. They says, we threw them in the fire. But they're just walking around in there. The king comes down and he looks and he says, you're right. He says, but I'm counting four. And one looks like the son of God. And then we go to Isaiah, who precedes Daniel in his writings. When thou goest through the water, it will not overtake thee or not overcome thee. When thou passest through the fire, it will not burn you. Paraphrasing. They not only come out with the clothes intact, they didn't even smell like smoke. For those of you who heat your homes or you have a furnace or a fireplace, now the way we did for many years, you put in some certain types of wood when the smoke is coming out all this way. You smell like smoke. Go camping, you smell like smoke. They come out, they didn't even smell like smoke. But they did tell the king this much, and I want you to recall what I'm saying. Put yourself in their positions. This is something that actually happened when they were called into question. Oh, king, we're not going to bow down to your statue because our God is able to deliver us. Now listen, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. So they weren't completely sure that this was going to turn out the way we all know. Because they said that even if he doesn't deliver us, still not bowing down. Moriquam fudori, death before dishonor. Ah, oh, they came out good though. Yay. Because we know these things. The problem is we get too familiar with the text sometimes. And so we think that these things are all going to happen in our life. And then all of a sudden, you're experiencing it, many of you right now, things are being introduced to your life that are taking you by shock. Like what? How come? I mean, I'm serving the Lord. Why? Because God has tested every one of his servants. He always has. He always will. Then secondly, there's Satan. Walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. Satan, where have you been? I've been walking back and forth in the earth. And God says about Job, have you considered my servant Job? And that's an instance, I think I've told you this, where you say, God, don't brag on me so much. Just tone this down. Well, sure he serves you because you've treated him so well, which, by the way, is true of a lot of Christians. Sunshine soldiers. Amen. Look, at, I don't want to go into this. I really don't want to be a rant. How many people I've known over the years, going on 36 come September, years I've been here, and threw their arms around me, Pastor Ray this and Pastor Ray that. But when the fire hit, little by little, well, I wish I could be with you and I wish I could stay. I'm going to find another church. 
Well, go find one, because there's only one church, one baptism, one spirit, one Lord. If you're looking for that church, no matter where it meets on the face of the earth, there's only one. And guess what? The test that you tried to avoid, you're going to meet it again in another place. So for me, I'd rather just get it over with. When I sat before a surgeon facing open-heart surgery, this is what he said to me. After I was told that I must have it by the other cardiologist, the surgeon said, I'm not telling you that you must have this. That should have been good news. Great. Take everything out. I'm out of here. But I asked him his opinion. Everybody told me I had to. You're saying you're not necessarily telling me I have to? Well, then he went through some explanations, and I said, all right, what would you do if you were me? He said, I'd have the surgery. I said, done. Now let's do it. And get the knife out as fast as you can. If you could do it right here, right now, let's do it. I don't want to sit around anymore. Just watching the clock tick for seven days. But he told me the truth, and you have to just understand that I didn't know how it was going to turn out on the other end. I didn't know I'd still be in this pulpit 14 years later. I didn't know. How do I know? Especially with all these people dropping down lately. I'm on another rabbit trail. Everybody's dropping down dead because they were vaccinated. And you know that. Well, think of this too. Now, you know that I'm vaccinated. Think about this. When you start with, I can't remember his name, the big rock and roll star, died in a plane crash, then Patsy Cline, Ricky Nelson, Jim Croce, John Vanver, they're all musicians. That had to be a conspiracy. They were all musicians and they all died mysteriously in plane crashes. I will not normalize this. I'm telling you the truth. I may be in trouble, not with some people, but with everybody. I'm sick of conservatives. I really am. They're acting and talking as stupid and dumb as some other people. Where does somebody have faith in God? They said, God is able. That God is able to keep us. And so they go into the fire and they come out of the fire and all is well. They would not compromise in their faith. They would not compromise in their worship. They would not compromise. Then they would not compromise in truth. Come with me. We're still in Daniel. Chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Belteshazzar, but when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly thing. This is Daniel rehearsing it. As the handwriting is on the wall, the finger is writing, meanie, meanie, tickle you farsome. You have been tried in the balances and you've come up wanting. And Daniel is rehearsing this. When his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. Who deposed him? <laughs> it wasn't the uh, Senate. It wasn't the House of Representatives. It was God. And they took his glory from him and was driven from the sons of men. And his heart was made like beasts. That's Nebuchadnezzar was talking about. He's talking about. And his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men. Take out kingdom of men and insert the word America. Well, you said, Pastor, I thought we ruled. Really? You really thought that we ruled from day one? You thought that we ruled? Right now, they're still talking about the election. Who rigged it? Was it rigged? All this stuff. There's so much information out there. And honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that I trust in God. And I also know that the answer is Jesus for America. Jesus. And so he rehearses this, this vision that Belshazzar sees. And Daniel is committed to the truth. He says, you know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? God threw him down. Now, he could have compromised at that point. That wasn't necessary to say that. Now, we have to really kind of look at what does it mean you were tried in the balances and you were found wanting. I mean, can really anybody really understand that? 
It's the kind of answers that we get from our leading pastors in America. Can anybody really understand what the word evil means? We heard that about 25 years ago from America's leading pastor. It wasn't Joe Osteen. I mean, can anybody really define evil? He said, yeah, I can. And so can my grandchildren. And they're only little kids. The point is that he could have easily passed that over and placated the king. Ah, we don't really know what wanting means. He said, said, you. How about Nathan the prophet? He's standing before David, who's the guilty party in this. And he says this story. And David says, well, kill that man. And stole that little lamb when he had his own big sheep farm. Death for that man. Nathan says, you're the man. Whenever you listen to the word of God being preached, or whenever you read it, always say to yourself, this is speaking to me. You may think of other people. By nature of what I do, I have to think of other people. Talk to them, share with them, whatever. Apply it to yourself. Apply it to yourself. And hear God saying, you're the man. You're the woman. I'm speaking to you. In all these areas, Daniel and his friends wouldn't compromise. Lastly, there was no compromise in doctrine. Daniel chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Then the presidents, interesting word, (laughs) then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, the kingdom of the Medes now, Persians, but they could find none occasional fault. He obeyed the law. Huh. A man of God obeying the law. How about that? The law of the land, I mean. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him concerning the law of the land. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And then, just to skip forward, under Darius, who had put his seal on another edict, very similar to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel is finally lowered into a den of hungry lions, emphasizing hungry. And Darius wasn't comfortable with this, but he was the king, and he had to keep his word, and he had his signet on it, and they were setting Daniel up. Interestingly, just like Haman tried to do to Mordecai. He built this elaborate gallows. There he is sitting on his horse. Mordecai is just standing like this. Death before dishonor. I'm not bowing down to you. What you want? I'm not bowing down to you. Haman is furious. Builds this elaborate gallows. And as the story goes, Haman is found out. Starts to basically jump on the bed with Ahasuerus' wife. Pleading with him to talk to her husband. He thinks she's being molested. And they hang him. He made gallows for himself. Eventually, that is going to happen to evil people. The gallows that they made for others, they're going to be hung on it themselves. Why? Because God is righteous. In every area of this life, God is righteous, and he always will be righteous, because he always was righteous. Well, Daniel is lowered into a pit of hungry lions. Darius that night didn't sleep very well. He was up most of the night, and he was anxious to get there in the morning, and he calls down into the hole. To the pit. Oh, Daniel, was your God able to deliver you? And Daniel says, long live the king. (laughs) And what happens is Daniel is lifted up. These same lions that just stayed there all night long. The men who set him up are lowered down and whap instantly. Second century B.C., writing back, writing history, which is not history. It's, uh, It's deceptive. But did this actually happen in the sixth century? We know, and from the beginning, by the way, both Jews and Christians always accepted the book of Daniel and its writing of the 6th century, that these events happened. And then we go to the flood, and then we go to all these other things that the Bible declares happened. And that God saved Noah out of the flood, and we might say God saved Noah in the flood, 
and on and on and on. Now, with all of this in mind, I want you to ask yourself the question, well, what's this got to do with me? Well, that depends. How many of you have ever lived a life of sin before you came to Christ? Can I see your hands? How many of you are ashamed of things you did before you came to Christ when you got to think back on it? Or maybe some friend called you up and says, hey, remember the good old days? I said, no, I don't want to. I don't want to remember the good old days. I'm ashamed. I blush in the dark things I've done. But the thing that I know is that you're the same as me. How do I know that? Because the book said all I've sinned. So what does it have to do with you? What does this message have to do with you? What it has to do with you is simply this. What decision have you made that you would prefer death before dishonor? And knowing that, you're going to be tested. Are you willing to endure whatever comes your way? And I am freely sharing with you that I had no clue. I had no clue when I kept praying to God, Oh, God, you know, I love you. And God, test me. And God, do this. Now I am educated. (laughs) Well educated in adversity and stress and betrayals and whatever. And so be it. Mori quam fedori, death before dishonor. Death before defiling yourself before your God. And I do believe, and I say this frequently, this situation we have out here, nobody's going to wave a magic wand, it's all going to be gone. So we can go to church and sing, and everything's great. Well, we go to church and sing, yes, and I'm going to preach, and you're going to pray, and all that, but the storm is just whipping up, it's not going to get better. You can see where this world is going. And so you have to make a decision, not we. This isn't the I, I, I. Because the eyes have it. You must make a decision whether you're going to live by the credo of mori quam fodori, death before dishonor, to live an honorable life even if no one else around you does. That you'll not compromise on the word of God, the words of God, and your commitment to God at whatever level that may be. As for me, I long ago made up my mind. My account was settled long, long ago. I'm going with God. I will give him 100%. I'm not going to dishonor myself. Or rather, I should say dishonor my God because of the opinion of men. I'll close with this story very quickly, and I forget which person it was. They burnt at the stake. They burnt a lot of people at the stake. It's Christian. About to burn him at the stake, and a soldier was standing there, ready to light and kindle the fire. This martyr said to him, he says, I want you to put your hand here on my heart. And just beat normally. I'm about to burn him at the stake. He says, now put your hand on your heart. And it was beat. Well, he shouldn't have had any fear. He was just lighting the fire. Because God will always give you the grace that you need in the moment that you need it. And the people who ring the bell, bing, good, bing, and quit before the test is over are always the people who have regrets. You live your life with no regrets. And let this Latin phrase, or just keep saying it in English, mori quam fedore, death before dishonor. I don't have the power to make decisions for you. I've made it for myself. I pray today that you make that decision. Live before the Lord in such a way that you will not defile yourself before your God. Father, in this time, it's my understanding from what I see and read You are looking for your own type of heroes, not man's type of heroes, your own heroes. Those who are principled enough, they will not dishonor you. We are flawed people, certainly. We're sinful people, yes, and we make mistakes and we fall down. And your book says that. But if the heart is directed towards you, that we would prefer death before dishonor, 
then we have a very good chance that we will not defile ourselves before you. Help us in this time of history, God, no matter how it looks, to be like Mordecai, standing up tall and straight as Haman gets all the worship from those who have dishonored themselves and dishonored their God. There's always a Mordecai in the crowd, an Esther. There's always a Noah, a Daniel, Azariah. There's always an Apostle Paul. Help us, God. Help my brethren to make it their own credo, death before dishonor. God, help us to have the courage and the grace and the strength to pay the price, whatever that may be, because the majority of us are not going to die for our faith. Majority. But we'll be lampooned and misunderstood and talked about and laughed at. And we'll be laughed at by people that we never respected in the first place. We'll be laughed at by people we do respect, which is hurtful, which makes it all the more difficult. But doesn't change the mind of someone who's principled. More equamen fordori. Death before dishonor. Help us, God, to be able to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, well done. Help us, God, to stand against the pressures, the stresses, the temptations, the distractions, the obstacles, and everything else. They're going to come, but we must stand like Mordecai and Daniel and all the rest. This hour of history needs us, well, us. It needs, like I said, God has his own kind of heroes. They're not man's choice. It's God's choice. We need to be able to say, as Isaiah said, here, my Lord. He didn't say, here, we are. We've got the largest denomination in the world. We're ready. He said, here, my. Send me. That takes courage. And so, love God with everything you have, all of your heart. You say, well, I'm pretty smart. I've got a high IQ. Good. Use it in the Bible first. You'll still be good at computers or whatever else you do. Use your IQ, your intelligence for God first. All the heart, <clears throat> all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. And then, most difficult part, love each other. In Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen with me this morning? Amen. Amen. amen.